And it's no longer enough to simply say, I support this or I stand with you, but it must be followed up with action. And I think that's really, really exciting that that expectation is there to step up in really tangible ways. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for you to be on the podcast. Uh, we had previous conversations. You're a marketing expert, communications consultant. Um, but before we get into all that good stuff and uh, value-packed conversation, uh, it would be mm-hmm. nice to get some maybe context uh, about who you are, your origin story, and yeah, who Michelle is. Great, great. Well, thank you. Um, so I am, as you said, a, a kind of a marketing communications um, executive, but I started, uh, grew up in rural Illinois in um, kind of a small farm town. Um, I was the, or am, I suppose, the, the oldest of four. Um, I was, uh, w- went to a high school, the only high school in town. And then from there, I went on to Northwestern University, uh, the first in my family to attend college. Um, and after college, I moved to Los Angeles. I kind of thought, um, you know, if, if I'm going to leave Illinois, this is going to be the time to do it. Um, and I had been a theater major in college. Um, and so that was kind of the area that I was interested in. Um, But as I looked to, you know, kind of my post-college life, I realized that I wanted to actually get a job. And I knew a lot of people, um, you know, who had a theater degree who were waitressing. Um, And so I kind of turned my attention to film development. And when I moved here, uh, I got a job at a production company that was based at Sony Pictures um, and spent the first part of my career in film development. So how did you make that uh, transition from production and film to uh, marketing overall? Um, you know, it was, I, I was very lucky. Um, I started at Sony, this Sony based production company called Jaff Films. And after that, I went to a Warner Brothers based uh, production company called Bel Air Entertainment. Um, and when I was at uh, Bel Air, we knew that our deal with the studio wasn't going to be renewed and everyone had pretty much a year to find a new job. Um, And I took that year, even though I was only a few years into my career um, and thought, you know, I'm going to find out what I want to do with my life because I don't think it's film development. And um, I took the GRE. I took the foreign service exam. I got into grad school at NYU. I interviewed with nonprofits. Um, You know, I kind of thought I'm going to take this time and explore everything that's interesting to me. Um, And one of those things was uh, PR and marketing. Um, A friend of mine, um, I interviewed it at uh, the company that represented her father's company, which was at the time Fleischman Hillard. Um, and I really kind of liked that idea of communications um, and ultimately ended up joining uh, Fleischman Hillard. And that kind of began my communications career. Um, what ultimately I found appealing about it and still find appealing because 
now that is where I've, you know, kind of gone all in on, on the career front, um, is the storytelling ability. And that's what was appealing to me when I was in college and studying theater, when I moved to um, Los Angeles and started in film development, and ultimately when I moved into communications, um, you know, the, the medium just changed for that storytelling. Um, but uh, within communications, you know, my specialty is consumer brand. Um, and so it became storytelling on behalf of brands. And that uh, is what I found interesting, you know, when I made that switch and what I still find interesting today. Uh, it's really just become even more dynamic and more exciting in terms of, you know, the platforms that are available to brands for storytelling. Absolutely. How do you think, I mean, I mean, everybody knows about the pandemic the last uh, few months, but uh, for you personally, what's been the biggest challenge for you um, over the last 60 to 90 days? <laughs> well, um, I have a 10-year-old. Um, today's actually her, her last day of school. Um, so it was really making the transition to being at home and doing everything from home, um, setting her up for schooling, trying to figure out, um, you know, I'm kind of consulting right now, but I don't even, you know, really know what that means while there's so much pause on, on so many things that are happening here. Um, so if I were to step back from just the insanity of, you know, kind of tr completely translating our, our lives to, um, you know, a, a stay at home order, it's probably been, um, you know, learning about the gold rush and um, all of the, all of the, the books and materials that are necessary to pass fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> uh, so I mean what would you say your unique skill is um, you have such a vibrant uh, career and you're doing great things um, but someone listening we have lots of marketers and uh, small business owners uh, what would you say your unique skill is that's made you so successful um, honestly, I think it's multitasking. Um, you know, most of my career was spent, um, has been spent on the agency side. And, um, you know, I was ultimately, um, I mentioned starting at Fleischmann Hillard, ultimately I was running the LA office and then, um, running the LA office of Burson Marsteller and then the LA office for HL group. Um, and in all of those roles, you know, working with some of these amazing world-class brands and clients everyone wants to believe they're your only client or your most important client. Um, and, you know, to an extent, that's what clients are paying for. Um, so I think the ability to make every client feel that they're the most important to dive in and understand their um, business from top to bottom so that you can really provide um, that value. But then, you know, being able to switch between multiple industries, um, multiple team members, multiple client needs throughout the day um, can be difficult. And I think, you know, there are definitely, I've realized in my career, people who can do that and people who it's just not what they're suited to. Um, and I think that's ultimately one of the, one of the skills that has, um, defined me best. Uh, the other, I would say is just, honestly, it's a, it's a never ending desire to learn, um, and always trying to keep on top of what's happening, not just in my industry, but all industries, because I think when you can figure out how to take the best of something else, um, and bring it into a marketing discipline, um, you know, you can be surprising and successful. Uh, maybe in ways that you hadn't anticipated. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Multitasking and continual learning is always a, a, a double threat um, <laughs> combination. <laughs> um, speaking of that, has there been anything uh, recently that you've read or learned or even listened to uh, that's really inspired you? Um, you know, I think that's a great question. There's, I think, sort of two things there. Um, you know, just I would say purely um, personally, the um, Caitlin Crosby, who's the founder of The Giving Keys, just wrote a book um, a few weeks ago. It came out. It's called You Are the Key, um, Turning Imperfections into Purpose. And she had a section in there around surrender. And it was the idea of kind of working as hard as you can, doing everything you can, but then knowing at the end, you kind of have to give up. You, you have to give up that control and just um, hope that things are going to work out and, and put it forward and support it, but know that there is an ex- uh, a limit to what you can sometimes do to ensure success. And um, I think that we live in such a um, uh, culture often where um, it's never enough, something's never good enough. Um, and that can really, I think, cause a lot of burnout or cause a lot of stress, um, not just on individuals, but also on teams. And so the idea of allowing us um, as individuals to accept that there can be a limit to what we can do, um, I thought was a very powerful message. Absolutely. What's the, for, for you, Michelle, what's the, what's your favorite part of your current role right now? Um, well, <laughs> at home, um, homeschool teacher, um, you know, I, I suppose being with my daughter, but, um, I would say with my last role, which was the, the COO and CMO of the giving keys, um, it was our social impact. So, uh, the giving keys is focused on ending homelessness through employment. Um, and at the time about half of my employees were people who had experienced homelessness. Um, and I, you know, feel that in myself and in my life, I, I volunteer my time and money and I try to stay really involved in issues that are important to me. But I had never worked in um, a um, situation where I was so directly impacting individuals' lives that I was seeing day in and day out. Um, and it really gave me a new appreciation um, for what true social impact is, um, and really being able to step back and say, you know, we might not be able to change the world, but for me, I knew every day going into the office that I was having a hand in changing the lives for, you know, these 20 people. Um, and that was something that I just truly did not take for granted and really influenced every decision that I made, um, because I, I was able to understand on a much more visceral level, the, um, the positive ways that good business decisions um, can impact individuals. And it's, it's something that I think, you know, a lot of other companies are suddenly, you know, uh, realizing now, um, certainly these past, past um, few months and then absolutely these past few weeks. Absolutely. I just want to quickly switch gears, uh, maybe to more of the marketing uh, stuff. Um, you mentioned that you've worked, uh, in the industry for a while. And I'm curious to get your perspective on um, how the industry has changed from when you first started right out of college to, to right now where you are today. 
Um, you know, I think there's a couple major changes. You know, I think that just the first one speaking more to like the, the length of my career, I mentioned, um, you know, what was interesting to me when I made that switch to um, marketing was the storytelling and the storytelling on behalf of brands. Um, you know, when I started, it was still um, mainly using press as the vehicle for communicating a message. Um, and so that's really changed so dramatically with the ability for brands to have their own owned channels to tell their own stories, um, you know, particularly online and through social media. Um, and then also also to um, have their story told through other more, you know, what were considered non-traditional and I think are, you know, even more traditional everyday means like influencers. Um, that was just something that was not available. And I think that it has um, completely transformed communications um, and marketing. And I think what's exciting about that is, you know, we're so inundated with information every day from so many different places. Um, now it allows brands to be able to communicate across all of these different platforms in all of these different um, relevant ways through all of these different um, voices. And so I think that's really, really exciting. Um, I think that's more of like a, you know, long term industry shift that we've seen. I think we're also seeing really exciting changes that are happening right now. Um, I think, you know, this started earlier this year with the, um, with the pandemic, with COVID-19, where, you know, brands were having to stand up and, and still wanting people to spend their dollars, knowing a lot of people were at home, a lot of people weren't earning money. So they had to be, um, you know, have a compelling offer in how they were doing that. And um, so, you know, that give back component, you know, buy a mask, give a mask, that sort of thing um, really resonated as well as companies that were stepping up and addressing needs within their community, whether it was donations to food banks or donations of the personal protective equipment or things like that. And now I think um, even more so uh, with the protests that we're seeing here, particularly in the, in the United States, but really remarkably across the world um, about racial injustice. And where it's no longer enough to simply say, um, you know, I support this or I stand with you, but it must be followed up with action. Um, and I think that's really, really exciting that that expectation is there from customers, but also that brands um, by and large know that that is required of them um, to step up in really tangible ways of how that can be both relevant to their business, um, but also impactful to their customer. Absolutely. Almost that's uh, put your money where your mouth is type of yeah. <laughs> Um I, did, I have to admit, I did do some uh, social media creeping and you, you touched on something that I, I thought was interesting about influencer marketing. Uh, I noticed that you were an uh, instructor actually on influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it'd, it'd be great to get your thoughts on how that's shaped um, the landscape of marketing or just your general thoughts on influencer marketing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I did. I taught a um, UCLA extension class last year um, on influencer marketing. And, um, you know, I find it such an interesting space. There are really, you know, it, it runs the gamut. Um, and I think when you look, uh, it, excuse me, it, it runes the gamut in terms of, you know, the, the size and the effectiveness of influencers. Um, and I think you know, what's incumbent upon brands is to understand what are they hoping to get out of it. Um, a lot of very 
big influencers with you know millions of followers are very good for awareness, uh, but they don't necessarily translate into sales. Um, and oftentimes it is the smaller, more industry-specific influencers that can really move the needle for sales. Um, and so I think that that's what brands have to consider when they're looking at influencers and they're trying to figure out um, how to allocate budget because you're not necessarily going to see a return on every influencer post. You really have to understand, is this designed to drive awareness or is this designed to drive sales and then calibrate your budget accordingly? Um, I think it's also really important to know that very few influencers, you know, have the ability with like one post to change your business. So you really should be thinking about how to structure a long-term engagement um, that feels more authentic to the person who is, uh, you know, the follower of that influencer and how they're going to see that content and feel that it, um, is not only relevant to the influencer, but relevant to them. And I think that comes through thinking through a longer term multi-touch point um, partnership. But what I think is also interesting when it comes to influencer, as um, I've been looking at the field, is there is a an element of um, consumers who say, you know, when this whole thing started, influencers were, were amazing. They were showing us things that we didn't know existed, you know, behind the scenes or events we didn't know were taking place. Um, but now, why should an influencer get all the fun and all the free stuff? And I don't. Um, and so I think that there was starting to be a shift where brands needed to think about how they could move beyond influencer, kind of post-influencer back to consumer um, and make sure that if they were doing, you know, a South by Southwest activation or a new product launch in New York or something like that, that they were also thinking about how to take that um, experience down to a smaller level and really disperse it throughout the markets that were important to them. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, um, and perhaps even more important to see, you know, kind of post as we come out of the, the first phase of COVID-19, um, how brands are able to engage with consumers in safe ways, because in some ways, I think we're starving for attention and connection even more than we were before. And the brands who can figure out that safe way of, um, creating a personalized experience with their customers, I think will be even more likely to come out of this um, in a strong position. Absolutely. Is there, are there any, you mentioned influencers, uh, are there any influencers or even maybe marketers that, uh, that you really um, admire or is there anything um, that you, you like about their execution? You know, I mean, I think one of the things that stood out to me in these past couple of weeks uh, was really Nike. Um, you know, they had a wonderful uh, campaign with Colin Kaepernick, um, I think a couple of years ago, you know, that um, was around the idea of, um, you know, stand for something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Um, and just recently around the idea of don't just do it, you know, don't turn your eyes away from racism. Don't turn your eyes away from inequality and uh, inequality and injustice. Um, and I think, you know, there are a lot of brands that, uh, 
don't know how to wade into um, politically charged waters and feel that, you know, the safest thing to do is to just wait out some of these things. Um, and I feel like, you know, Nike has never been one to do that. It's really been um, aggressively at the forefront of some of um, these really important issues. And it was great to see them continue to take that position uh, because I think it gives a lot of other brands um, you know, the, uh, they're, they're able to lead the way. Um, and I think bring other brands along, um, into the conversation that maybe otherwise, uh, would not choose to, to be part of it. Absolutely. Not totally agree. Uh, yeah, I just want to quickly switch gears again, uh, back into uh, your career. Um, what's been the most successful marketing campaign uh, that you've ever worked on that maybe you can share? Um, yes, I would love to. It was actually a few years ago now, um, but I was representing Tourism Australia, which uh, is the continent of Australia, um, and uh, supporting them for you know uh, travel and tourism as a, as a destination um, from the U.S. And I uh, had a program that was called Oprah's Ultimate Australian Adventure, uh, where I had pitched Oprah's, uh, the Oprah Winfrey show in her final season to take the whole show and all the audience members down to Australia. Um, and we did it and it was insane. Um, and we had, we were part of the season premiere of the final season. We had four episodes later that season that were shot in Australia. Uh, we brought down 300 audience members. Um, she was also filming a reality show uh, for OWN at the same time. So we had a reality show component. Um, we were featured in um, O Magazine. And then, you know, we had these 300 evangelists who had traveled there and all of the online um, components as well. It was, you know, something I never expect to replicate in my life again um, and was absolutely amazing to be able to take a country that I have such passion for and show it in such a beautiful and intimate way um, to viewers really around the world. Um, I think in a, in a way that made it feel less far away and less, um, kind of like trip of a lifetime um, than I think some people think of because it's a country, but it's a continent um, and make it feel like a, a, a real um, achievable destination. Um, and, you know, what was successful about that was just that we had so many touch points to communicate that, you know, we had um, the talk show and then the reality show and the magazine and the um, people who had been there and the website and, you know, all of those things, which just um, are so, so rare to get so many impactful touch points all firing at the same time. Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Making a place, is it 16 hours of flight from, from, uh, LA or? Uh, yeah, about from LA to Sydney. Yeah. Which is the same uh, as LA to Rome, but you know, somehow people think, you know, it's called the land down under. It makes it seem like it's so far away. Um, but you know, it's just, it's just about messaging. That's, that's why I love marketing so much. Exactly. All about that storytelling. <laughs> Um, yeah, my next question for you, Michelle, was uh, what's the biggest misconception about maybe launching a new marketing campaign or a branding campaign? 
from your perspective? <laughs> um, that's such a great question. I think the biggest misconception is that um, everything is original. <laughs> you know, um, most things are not. Most things are derivative. Most things are building off of something else, um, and that's not a bad thing. That's a true thing. You just have to understand where you fall into um, the you know evolution of brand and product, um, and you have to understand your competitive set, and you have to understand your historical set, um, and then I think you take that information and it's just so key to be authentic um to strip all of that away and say you know what what am i at the end of the day um it's one of the things that i loved most about the giving keys because um you know at the end of the day certainly jewelry is not a um you know unique category and in 2020 you know key jewelry is not um, wholly unique. Um, the idea of being able to personalize or customize jewelry is not unique. Um, but what is unique to the Giving Keys was this idea of ending homelessness through employment. And so it's taking the product, but you know the authenticity they have around this is the mission and making sure that those things are always in lockstep, that you understand um, you know, the product, which you have to love independently. You have to want to wear it. it. It has to represent you, but understanding the whole of the company and its mission behind that. Um, and that's where I think those storytelling opportunities come in. Absolutely. <laughs> about that storytelling. Um, what would you say though, like once you get the storytelling going, you get the, you get the visitors and customers in, but how would you, from your perspective, how, how would you define a great customer experience? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to be listening to the customer because you certainly want to identify and plot out that customer journey, you know, before you start, but then you have to be willing to throw out what's not working once it's actually going into practice. Um, and I think one of those things that might become uh, so important is really figuring out how that product and with what frequency that product fits into your customer's life, because that's how you start then determining the investment that you're making for um, repeat uh, purchase versus new customer acquisition. Um, and I think that's really, uh, that's really where the, the money comes in, right? You don't want to keep um, marketing to the same customer if you know that they're only buying from you once a year. Um, and you don't want to spend a lot of money bringing in new customers if you know your existing customer can purchase from you more frequently. Um, and so it's striking that right balance. And I think it's also then figuring out, um, you know, customer um, purchasing patterns aside, is there something that then you can do as a brand um, to create or to increase frequency of purchase? Um, and I think that's where, you know, again, going back to the giving keys as an example, um, looking at shifting between purchase for self and then gift purchasing and figuring out, um, you know, how to balance that messaging because, um, you know, you can uh, create more contact and repeat purchase from your customer if you can get them to think just be, you know beyond just themselves to who else in their universe might also appreciate and benefit from this product 
Absolutely. Um, earlier you mentioned um, during the influence marketing piece, we were talking about um, between marketing and sales. I'm curious to know um, what what you think the relationship between marketing and sales is. Oh, I mean, I, they're they're completely inexorably linked, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think what is really important is that you have to understand when you're looking at that marketing spend, what you're spending on. Um, uh, awareness and what you're spending on trying to drive sales and, you know, understanding that, you know, every dollar spent does not have that same return. Um, and what are those times when you need to make that investment in awareness, um, and what times you can be much more tactical, um, on just the, you know, driving that transaction. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big hypothetical type of guy. So I'm, I'm going to ask, Let's say if you had 50% more budget, um, how would you spend that between marketing and sales? What, what type of channels, what, what uh, kind of executions would you be looking into? Um, you know, it, again, it's really relative to what the 50% of the, the size of what budget um, you're talking about. But um, I think, you know, in general, Google is still the 800 pound gorilla, um, when it comes to, to Google ads and, you know, you really have to be there. Um, there's no way of avoiding that. I think, um, what's really important is to look at what is, um, the impact of each channel that you are leveraging. Um, one of the things uh, I ha- was working with a, a brand who had reduced funding for a um, particular channel. In this case, I recall it being Pinterest because um, they weren't seeing that drive sales, but they neglected to look at the fact that it was actually one of the largest awareness driving channels for them. Um, And that that was where a lot of customers were starting their um, education about the brand. And so when they reduced that spend, um, it ended up having this domino effect later in the funnel um, of reducing, ultimately reducing traffic and then having that um, impact on sales for the brand. So I would say if I had um, 50% more budget, you know, I would take a step back and look at all of the channels and say, you know, where can we um, make this investment, but understanding holistically what we need to do. Is it building awareness um, or is it uh, focusing on that, that uh, sales conversion? But I would also say, you know, just for a moment there, um, back to the earlier point about influencer, that um, that, can, that can often not always be a very cost-effective way. Um, and if you're just trying to get new people um, uh, aware of the brand in a very engaging, content-driven way, um, I'm a huge fan of influencer in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um a little bit more out of the box question for you, uh, Michelle. Uh, what's one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? I mean, you know, it's funny. It's really what we touched on with regard to influencer, because I think that, you know, the idea of, um, okay, influencer, influencers really taken for granted. Um, I think we all should be asking what is post-influencer. And I do think post-influencer is return to consumer. Um, I think we should be talking about that a lot more. Um, I think, you know, 
again, throughout the first six months of this year, we've seen um, also a lot of backlash around influencers maybe being tone deaf or maybe displaying um, different elements of privilege, whether it's around, um, you know, the, the ability to enjoy a shelter in place more than other people, um, or maybe not um, uh, really incorporating other points of view into their content or things like that. You know, we should never think of them as the end all be all. Um, and so we should be thinking, okay, this is just one component of a marketing mix. What is after this? And I think we really do have to be looking very closely on how we bring brands back to consumers um, in really tangible ways. Mm, I love that, Michelle. That's great. Um, for you personally, uh, what are some of the social networks that uh, that you really like? Uh, you know, for brands, it, a lot of it is Instagram. Um, you know, consumer brands, obviously, looking at how they are presenting that content um, and how they're engaging with their um, with their followers. You know, you have seconds to make an impact um, on uh, a customer, potential customer. So, focusing on gorgeous, creative, sharp sharp copy, um, you know, a compelling offer. I'm always looking to see who does that, um, in a, in a really great way. Um, and then Twitter, um, and Twitter because of news. Um, you know, I think that it is so critical to have a really strong foundational knowledge of what's happening in the world, um, to be successful in marketing. Um, and so always checking there to see what's happening. Um, not just with brands, but, you know, with the world in general. Mm, absolutely. I only have a couple more questions here for, for you, Michelle. Um, what are you proud of that we maybe haven't touched on on the podcast yet? Um, you know, I think I'm really proud of the work that uh, I was able to support and be a part of at The Giving Keys. It was, um, you know, I think, as I mentioned, just something I hadn't really experienced before. I have supported and worked for really amazing companies throughout my career that I'm so um, thankful for, but not anything that had um, such a direct social impact tied to it. Um, and that for me, I think not only changed um, how I viewed the value of the work I was doing, um, but I think has really changed how I want to uh, continue my career moving forward. Um, it's something that felt to me was separate in a lot of ways from my work. It was something that I, you know, pursued in my own time on the weekends, um, you know, different organizations and social justice issues that I was very passionate about, but they were something that was a separate part of my life and being able to kind of dive in and, and, put myself so fully, um, into something that was, uh, really helping people relearn life skills, um, build up a resume, um, you know, position them for the next job, make themselves wow. financially stable. I was just so proud of being able to do that. Um, and I really want to find a way to continue to do that in my life moving forward. Mm, absolutely. Uh, we look. I look forward to uh, seeing your continued journey. You're you're doing such great things, and um, yeah, it's really exciting to have you Thank on this. You. Your experiences. I'm sure it's value packed for the listeners, and they really appreciate it too. Um, 
yeah, how we usually like to end the podcast is, uh, like you mentioned, marketing is all about storytelling. And for me, it's about also making a stance for something and um, being outside of the box almost. So uh, my, my last question to you, Michelle, is uh, what's the most unpopular, maybe even out of the box stance you've ever taken and why? Um, you know, it's nothing controversial, I think. Uh, but really what it is, is I believe as a leader, you have to put yourself in the position to take responsibility for the decisions that are being made. Um, when a plan is going to a client, when we're uh, recommending a statement in a charged climate, um, whatever it happens to be, I have to feel at the end of the day, no matter who is making that recommendation, that I am taking responsibility for um, how it's ultimately received. And I think that is really important when you're trying to support and mentor a staff, that they know that you've got their back um, and that you will be there to support them um, when in, in, you know, in times of bad as well as in times of good. Um, and I think having the room to make those mistakes or the room to discuss um, how a mistake might happen ultimately is going to lead to the greatest success at the end of the day. Thanks again for being on the podcast, Michelle. It's, it's great to have you on. Oh, it was such a pleasure. It was great speaking with you. I, I thank you for thinking of me. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.